lot of the various ag technologies we talk about here on the show all come together in one place on the farm, and it's where the rubber literally meets the road. That's right, it's in the tractor or in other equipment that farmers and ranchers use to get work done on a day-to-day basis. That market, at least in North America, is very much dominated by a few major players. Companies like CNH Industrial, where Mark Kermish serves as Global Chief Digital and Information Officer. When we show up to a customer, there's just an expectation that we have high quality products that just work, no matter if it's software, iron, or some combination of the two. On today's episode, Mark talks about how they differentiate themselves in such a competitive space with other big names like John Deere and Agco. We also talk about several of CNH Industrial's recent acquisitions and why now might be an interesting time for companies like them to find other acquisition targets. You know, from our perspective, when the venture capital market gets difficult, it makes it you know, usually easier from an MA perspective because we have lower valuations and maybe be able to get into something for less. We also see innovation get more challenging, right? Because there isn't as much money in the marketplace, which can create some really unique buying opportunities. Mark Kermish from CNH Industrial on today's Future of Agriculture podcast. Hello, fellow ag nerd. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Future of Agriculture. My name is Tim Hamrich, and every week you and I get to hear from the founders, farmers, innovators, and investors, the people shaping the future of the ag industry. Now, before we dive in, I want to thank our quarterly presenting sponsor, which is a company that tells you what you don't want to know. Every three seconds, FarmWave's Harvest Vision system is counting your harvest losses off the header and from the combine and reporting them to you in the cab in real time. Make changes on the fly and watch your loss counts drop without having to stop or do manual harvest loss counts again. Models are currently available in corn and soybeans with several other crops in development for release soon. But don't take my word for it. Listen to an actual FarmWave customer. I had firsthand experience with it. It proved itself right out the gate the first minute we started running it. That is hard to argue with. You know, I mean, when you see something instantly showing you a return, there's something to it. And then it's done it over the, you know, we've done it multiple times. Would I like to get through a season without it showing me anything? Yeah, that'd be great. It means I'm doing it right. But it's also nice having that safety net that if something, when you're getting to the end of the season, you're maybe not checking everything the way you should, or you just assume everything's adjusted correctly or it's running right well this is going to tell you otherwise if you do have something that's not right that farmer you just heard from there is adam hinkle the seventh generation on their farm in north central illinois make sure you stay tuned to the end of today's episode for a more detailed spotlight of adam and how he's using technology like FarmWave on his farm and you can join the ranks of farmers just like Adam who are deploying Harvest Vision in their fields to ensure that no bushel gets left behind. Put AI to work on your farm by visiting farmwave.io. It's farmwave.io to chat with one of their experts or locate a dealer near you. Thank you very much to FarmWave for supporting farm innovation and the Future of Agriculture podcast. All right, now back to our featured interview today with CNH Industrial Global Chief Digital and Information Officer Mark Kermish. Under Mark leadership, the company's information technology and digital organizations are focused on delivering easy-to-use, mobile-first digital experiences, coupled with advanced vehicle technology that drives productivity for customers. He's also responsible for leading the company's global product engineering, industrial design, and R&D teams. I probably don't have to introduce you to CNH Industrial, but the short 
short version is they are a major player in the agricultural and construction capital equipment manufacturing industry. Uh, Mark's own description of his job is to deliver software to customers, dealers and employees that's easy to use and makes their job easier every day. I'll drop into the conversation here where Mark is talking about how CNH Industrial thinks about differentiation in this competitive landscape when it comes to smart farm equipment. One area that we see an opportunity for differentiation for ourselves is around ease of use and interoperability of our systems, right? And so today, you know, as you know, farmers like choice. And if they want to bring an implement that's a non-CNH implement, uh, if they have a mixed fleet, uh, if they have a particular um, ag tech that they want to experiment with, you know, we're building our software and in many cases have already built our software that has an open architecture. So if there's a, an, an API uh, that's available uh, with a startup, uh, with another ag tech provider, we can integrate that directly into our ecosystem. Uh, if they have a non-CNH implement, which is pretty prevalent in a lot of our customer base, they can still control that implement through our displays through basic CAN communications. I think the other piece that we would say as a differentiator is from a data perspective, the data is owned by the farmer or the construction operator. It's not owned by CNH. We respect that. We ask for permission where we want to use that data. We will not monetize that data. And if we ever do monetize in the future, it would be in conjunction with permission by the, by the farmer or the construction operator. And we would want them to participate in that monetization in some way, shape or form. And those are probably the two things that, that come to mind from a pure software perspective. So is there a little bit of a sort of an iOS Android analogy here in the farm machinery space or in the ag machinery space? A hundred percent. There's an iOS Android, right? Uh, you might even throw windows in there to some respects from a you know, open versus closed ecosystem. And, you know, I'd say there's pluses and minuses, right? If you want a closed ecosystem, you know what you're signing up for. You know what that cost structure is like. You know what your limitations are and what your benefits are. If you want that open ecosystem and, and you want a bit more freedom of choice and being able to try different technologies, uh, you have the same set of, of benefits and, and opportunities. At least in our experience, we think that farmer in particular likes to have some choice. They like to have really strong understandings of what their costs are going to be. And they want to be able to experiment with the latest and greatest technology as much as anybody else these days. Are you seeing more kind of mixed fleet type uh, farmers out there, given this these advancements in technology as, you know, it's not so much about iron anymore, right? It's about smart iron. Um, and so does that promote maybe more mixed fleet now? And, and uh, I would imagine in the future. Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. I don't know if I have any empirical data that would say we're seeing more mixed fleet, at least amongst the three big OEMs, right? What we are seeing is more experimentation in non-traditional vehicle formats, drones being an example, especially in South America, you know, and or startups, right? We just uh, invest in a company called Advanced Farm, which is a robotic picking platform. Uh, you don't need a tractor to move an advanced farm machine. Um, it's self-propelled. And so, but it might be putting product onto a tractor that's moving that product back to uh, a central distribution point or collection point. So we are seeing that for sure. You know, I wonder with the big news last month with Trimble being acquired by Agco, how, how does that change the landscape or does that affect, you know, CNH's uh, position or strategy at all? You know, from our perspective and you know, from my perspective specifically, we weren't surprised by the acquisition per se. 
you know, when we bought Raven Industries back in 21, we sent a strong signal to market that we wanted to own and uh, develop our own tech stack. And there's a reason for that, which is really being able to have flexibility and time to market, you know, for your farmers and be able to incorporate very quickly the feature sets and needs that they have. And since then, Trimble has been a longtime partner, right? And with this move, you know, they had notified us that they were looking to go independent with their aftermarket, uh, which was fine by us because, you know, we have a ready available offering for our customer base based off that core Raven technology to be able to offer aftermarket kits. And uh, with their now tie up with Agco, it just continues to allow us to execute our strategy and honestly gets our dealers more on board with where we're going faster than we probably had intended. Yeah, it does seem like a really uh, strategic and prescient move now, the, the Raven Industries acquisition. Can you maybe talk about that for somebody who who's maybe not familiar, if we're getting too far into the weeds for for folks that aren't, aren't real familiar? Talk about Raven and how it fits into kind of the CNH industrial you know, portfolio of, of brands now. Yeah, so Raven Industries was an applied controls uh, company that really built what I'd call best-in-class crop protection precision capabilities, allowing a farmer to be able to, you know, very specifically control, you know, the spraying that they do across their crops. With that, they had a very unique customer-driven innovation cycle uh, where they would work hand-in-hand with a customer and in some cases like CNH, the OEM, to develop the capabilities that the farmer needed to optimize uh, their crop protection plans. Part of the goal for acquiring Raven was twofold. One is we wanted to maintain the leadership that we felt we had in spraying. We also were really intrigued by their engineering first, customer first approach, where they would literally be out in the fields in the morning testing something with a customer. Midday, they'd go in and do some code changes and they could go back out into the field in the afternoon to, to get some more feedback. And they were treating you know that traditional hardware and software truly an iterative and agile mode that you typically saw out of pure software companies, uh, including because they had vertically integrated their manufacturing. So they could get, you know, essentially prototypes from their manufacturing plant on a Tuesday, run in the field on a Wednesday and get feedback back to the engineering team by Thursday. It was just a pace of innovation that CNH hadn't seen before. And so that became our foundation for how we were going to build our internal tech stack was really starting with that customer-driven engineering and then expand that over what I'd call core precision, which would include you know, your GPS positioning, your connectivity, and your machine control across what I'd say is all your tractor functions. And uh, you, you mentioned Advanced Farm. I know we had uh, Kyle from Advanced Farm on the show not too long ago, maybe last year, I want to say. That's an interesting one because my understanding is, at least at the time, they were mostly focused on picking strawberries with maybe talks of moving into stone fruit. Is there opportunity in those markets that CNH is looking at, or is this more like Raven, where it's a chance to kind of take their process and expand it to other product lines? You know, I think in the case of, you know, I would call Advanced Farm kind of a pure robotics company, right? And so I think in this case, it's a marketplace we're still trying to understand. You know, one of our biggest segments is specialty, and we would put advanced farm in that specialty market, which is around, you know, that fruit, nut, vineyard grower. And we know that one of the biggest pain points is the labor it takes to pick the fruit and do it in a timely fashion uh, around the world is truly a global problem. And we were super intrigued with the way advanced farm and Kyle and his team had approached the problem set. You know, first and foremost, it's, it's farmer first innovation. Right, they're not building tech in a lab and then bringing it back out. 
you know, second was just how they created the method of, you know, from code through simulation to bench testing to testing in the field was some of the most integrated processes I had ever seen as a technologist. Um, and so there's definitely things that we'll learn from how Kyle and his team have set up their engineering organization that we may be able to apply back within in C&H. You know, we came at them truly as a venture-backed company, right? So we're just one of many participants uh, in the latest fundraising round, and our goal is to be able to learn from them. And I want to uh, kind of circle back to, you know, what we're talking about with interoperability and ease of use for for a farmer. Talk a little bit more about kind of just your view on on precision ag in general and how sort of this the the continual advancement of precision ag plays out. Now, from the outside looking in, it looks like a company like Deer has really tried to establish a, a beachhead when it comes to smart spraying. And um, I'm curious, you know, it, how you all see that as far as the strategy goes to uh, maybe establish your own leading presence when it comes to precision ag. Yeah, so I think, you know, I would say today uh, we feel really confident in what I'd call core precision, right? The the goal of an operator coming out of the cab on a, you know, I'd say a permanent basis is still somewhere down on the horizon. And so we want to make sure we have an easy to use very capable system that just works, right? So when I think about sense, you know, kind of that sensing capability, there's a huge math problem there to solve for. And it's one that, you know, similar to, to all three of the OEMs, we're all going after it. Because at the end of the day, the number one thing that farmer wants is he wants his cost to go down and their customers want to have less applied chemicals if possible. And so from that perspective, you know, going back to Raven, you know, they had bought the, you know, DOT, which was a, you know, an independent company that was driven by autonomy. Uh, they had already had some sensing capabilities that they were in uh, innovation uh, and advanced technology work with as it came to spraying specifically. And that's why you saw us buy Augmenta, which was to really augment that capability. And for us, from a time to market perspective, we are partnering with you know, one smart spray uh, when we think about it from a green on green perspective. At the end of the day, though, when we think about sensing in that particular use case, is it's building a library of images that can be applied in agriculture, right? So you want to be able to identify weeds. You want to be able to identify a crop. You want to be able to identify soil and soil types. And so we want to create that library of, of imagery that then can be processed on the edge or in the actual vehicle itself, that then can do the controls that are going on behind the machine or within the machine. And, and how are we doing right now as far as to me, it seems like technology is not so much the limiting factor to really optimizing the use case of precision ag. Uh, t I, you tell me whether or not you agree with that and maybe help me understand where we're at in terms of actual farm implementation of, of precision agriculture. Yeah, so I think if you look at the take rate and you know, set aside uh, auto steer for a second, right, because there's a pretty good take rate for that. Um, you know, we're still at the very beginning stages of precision, and I think it's for a couple of reasons. Farming practices are very personal, and there are some generational changeover that's occurring. So an established farmer that's in their, you know, call it 65 to 85 range, that's getting ready to pass the farm down, you know that there's a discussion at the table between son and father or daughter and father on how they're going to use automation for, for the farming practice. And some of that comes down to cost, right? So I think one of the biggest challenges precision uh, has from an acceptance rate, one is getting the cost down. And that might be getting the cost down or the cost to the right price point that allows the farmer to see the impact on their P&L. 
right? So if they're not seeing productivity and yields go up and input costs go down and our cost to deliver the technology on the vehicle is too high, then you have a lose-lose situation, right? And that's where I think what's always regulating our ability to introduce new capabilities to the farmer is making sure that we can prove that our cost is right and it's justified because we're driving so much value by improved yields or improved costs to the farmer itself. And it's easy to use would probably be the, the other piece I would throw in there. Um, but today, and you know, I'll pick on autonomy for a second, autonomy is a hard problem, right? We've seen our automotive partners going after autonomy for quite some time. And in some cases, we have a more controlled environment because we're operating inside of a field. Uh, but the difference is, is if, if we screw up autonomy for the farmer, they're losing money. Right. Well, I might be able to have some edge cases. Uh, you always have somebody with the car being able to take the wheel. In worst case, they get a fender bender. Right. Ideally, that's their worst case. But you don't want to run over somebody's crop or you know degrade it during harvest or something like that. The machines are expensive. Right. To take an operator out of the cab is hard because I'm trying to replicate, you know, what the eye sees, what the brain processes, and what the brain does with all four of your limbs. Right. If I need to speed up, slow down, stop, turn, whatever that might be, you know, computers at the end of the day are dumb. They only do what they're told. And so that's, that's the biggest challenge in doing that in a cost right model. And we're playing with business models and you see some of our competitors playing with business models. Farmers still want to know what their costs are at the beginning of the season. Ideally, they don't want to necessarily have variable costs throughout the season. And so we're still anchoring back to the farmer's traditional purchases for the most part, which is either a capitals goods purchase or a one-time purchase that they know what the cost of the good is versus ongoing fees or getting to this annual recurring revenue. If it makes sense for the farmer and the farmer wants to go there, we'll go there. Uh, so we're not saying not now or not ever. It's just we want to really make sure that the farmer's leading us through that business model change as you're introducing some of these more expensive, more complex systems uh, that they're they're investing in. Yeah, I mean, along those lines, I, I, I have wondered about, you know, about full autonomy of, of like, OK, is there really that much value add in full autonomy being built into the machine from day one? Or should it just always sort of be an aftermarket add on, which, you know, we've certainly seen companies that are offering that, uh, because if it like you said, if it is more expensive, then I don't know that I'm quite ready to to pay more for that if I can't fully take someone uh, you know, away from the field at that time. Yeah, I think it's a very silly point. And uh, I think early stages of autonomy is, is absolutely less expensive to experiment it with aftermarket. But with an aftermarket purchase, you're often going to get single use or maybe, you know, a concrete set of missions that that aftermarket can do. And the ability to then grow that aftermarket into edge cases or additional capability will be difficult. Right, because really good autonomy needs to have that deep integration at the factory to make sure you've got all the machine control capabilities open and available to you. Yeah, we think there's room and, and absolute need for both. Early on, the more we can do faster with aftermarket, uh, we'll learn quite a lot. Uh, at the same time, we want autonomy-ready products and vehicles. In such cases, where you know, they may be able to graduate into what they want. Maybe their immediate need is you know, they need tillage help or they need something in the in the grain cart during harvest. Uh, maybe they need it for a month or maybe they want to just pay for it out front and have it fully accessible. You know, those are things that I don't think the farmer knows exactly what it is that they are willing to pay for and in what manner. And, you know, we want to be open to that. 
to your point, you know, we look at it as, you know, kind of assisted autonomy where there's an operator available to shut the vehicle off and be the safety mechanism. Uh, I would say there's then kind of what I'd say unassisted autonomy where the operator doesn't have to be in the field, but the vehicle has to be delivered to the field, right? It's not going to drive from some central location across roads to the field. And then you'd get eventually to your level five autonomy where you could have all your vehicles sitting in your barn. You push a button and deploy them to multiple fields and traversing multiple farm roads to get there all in a safe manner. I think that level five is further out. And I'm not sure that there's a market justification for it yet. Very interesting. Well, I mean, you, you've mentioned uh, Augmenta and Advanced Farm and uh, Raven Industries. Uh, I'm curious with, you know, the M&A landscape right now, we, we talk a lot on the show about what's happened in venture capital and in terms of like valuations being, you know, flat or lower, a lot less capital available. We're kind of coming off of this really exciting time for people trying to raise money into this time where it's maybe a little bit harder, you know, from from an M&A standpoint, an acquisition standpoint on your end, does that create more opportunities uh, to to acquire a company like an Augmento or like a Raven Industries? It certainly does, right? I mean, you know, acquirers and M&A tend to be on opposite cycles that they love, right? You know, from our perspective, when the venture capital market gets difficult, it makes it you know usually easier from an M&A perspective because we have lower valuations and maybe able to get into something for less. We also see innovation get more challenging, right? Because there isn't as much money in the marketplace, which can create some really unique buying opportunities. And uh, it also gives you a chance to be a bit more selective as you're looking at even from a venture capital, from a corporate ventures perspective, to be more selective in the marketplace. You know, and so I think for us, we'll continue to be acquisitive where it makes sense. And yeah, I'd say right now we're seeing a lot of bolt-on opportunities. So you know, was it two weeks ago we officially closed on our hemisphere acquisition, right? And that to me was a critical capability, and I'd call it core tech that we were very thankful that we could acquire around GNSS and positioning. It puts us in a driver's seat about enabling that pure vertical integration and really be able to provide, you know, finite guaranteed both RTK from the sky capabilities as well as traditional base station satellite to base station capabilities to get to that centimeter level accuracy. You know, we've made some other acquisitions that are around 3D graphics uh, capabilities. Um, you know, within our displays. So as you're creating your farm maps over those displays, we kind of took our 3D engine partner and uh, decided to buy them out, right? Because we wanted to guarantee we had access to that tech. So those are the types of things, you know, we kind of range from. uh, And so kind of full acquisitions of bolt-on technology, foundational tech, or in the case of advanced farm or or monarch technologies, you've kind of got a venture cap or even a joint venture type of a scenario we did with monarch. All right. Well, I want to talk about Monarch, but before we do, I don't want to leave Hemisphere yet. So that that's a capability I would have thought you all already had. Is this a situation where you had the capability, but now you, you because you own the, the tech, you kind of uh, ensure that you have that capability long term? Yeah. So, yes, we were buying that capability from third parties. Right. And they were fantastic partners. But ultimately, when you yeah, you know, they those opportunities in that GNS space don't come up very often. And, uh, you know, one of the things that when Hemisphere came to market, it gave us an opportunity to step in and take ownership of that GNSS capability. And there's a couple of huge benefits, right? So, you, again, you own your innovation roadmap and you can make sure you're evolving at the pace the market expects you to. There's a cost and a margin play, right? We now control our costs more directly. 
then we can make sure that that we manage our margins better. And there's you know some services that come around GNSS like you know corrections uh, that you provide, right? Those corrections were you know flowing out to a third party. Now they flow to us, and we can control it and make sure we deliver the right value to the customer. So in that case, you know, being able to own the foundational capability was important to us. Well, yeah, well, let's talk about Monarch. This is an interesting uh, topic for, for several reasons. You know, Monarch Tractor, they've got the autonomous, fully electric tractor, kind of a, mostly geared towards, my understanding, is kind of specialty crops, maybe smaller farms. Um, electrification and autonomy, something that CNH was already working on. Uh, so when you make an investment like this, how do you uh, how do you think about the investment from the standpoint of if I'm Monarch, maybe I'm wondering, are they just after my secrets? Do they just want to take what I'm working on and apply it to themselves? Or is this really going to be a beneficial relationship beyond money? Kind of talk about how the give and take of that relationship works. Yeah. Uh... You know, I think over the last two years as we've worked with Monarch, you know, there's been tremendous value that's been derived by both entities, you know, from a, a Monarch lens. You know, one of the things that they were excellent at was the traditional Silicon Valley build, test, learn, wrench, wash, repeat cycles, right? The challenge is, is you know, as you start to, to go to scale that, as you start to go from kind of the prototype to now having to provide a true safe vehicle that's been homologated, you know, so the different regulations around the world, those were things that they just didn't have direct experience in, right, where we did. And so we were able to kind of bring that scalability, that industrialization process to Monarch. On the flip side, you know, our launch of our electric 75 uh, horsepower equivalent utility tractor was the fastest launch that we'd ever done. And we couldn't have done that without learning from Monarch on how to do this design, build, test uh, cycle, right? Where, you know, we had never been in market with a tractor as fast as we did from our first design validation unit all the way up to now kind of our production uh, units that we're getting ready to, to, to release early next year. And so it was a benefit of, you know, anchoring to some of their electrification architecture and using them as a supplier to provide us some of those capabilities, building our own teams around that. So we really now have a full electrification unit based both in Detroit, Michigan and Modena, Italy. Uh, that's worked hand in hand, taking what they built for essentially was a 35 horsepower equivalent up to that 75 horsepower, right? And I think one of my favorite things was when we were out at the Monarch facilities uh, in Livermore and they, for the first time, saw our tractor running, you know, next to their, you know, their Mach 5. Yeah, I think the comment from Praveen and Mark is they had never thought about it at that scale, right? All of a sudden, you've got a multi-ton vehicle rolling down the road uh, with a follow-me feature so using their, their autonomous roof. And so I think for them, just being able to see that scalability, neither one of us could have imagined doing it in the time frame that we did, uh, especially while they were still in product launch phase, right? They hadn't launched their products. So they took on supporting an OEM and their own customer base at the same time. Well, uh, zooming out here a little bit, you know, I, I, I really love kind of the open infrastructure uh, approach, kind of the open technology approach that, that you all are, are leading with. Um, I'm curious, you know, from from your own strategic perspective, how do you make a decision of kind of when to buy, when to partner and, and when to invest? Uh, I don't know if you can maybe provide a good example of how you all approach that that thought process, because we've talked about a little bit of all of that so far today. 
Yeah. So I think, you know, to me, it's very exciting to work for a company that's willing to go across all three. And, you know, I look at, I'll start with the buy perspective. You know, when you see uh, what I call competitive differentiating technology that you know is going to make a difference for your farmers, that complements the tech stack that you're already working on and the price is right, you know, acquiring that technology along with the people that go with it becomes a tremendous strategic value add. Rarely would I ever want to buy a company purely for the technology and the IP and not also have the people being a part of it. And so you have a culture fit and a mission alignment fit that needs to be you know, really evaluated and make sure that, that those two things line up. Because the last thing you do is you want to buy a company and all the people leave, right? When we look at it from a, a standpoint of kind of a majority investor or a joint venture, some of that is where you have uh, mitigation of risk, right? We see a really interesting opportunity, but you want it to be fostered outside the confines of a big bureaucratic 200-year-old company, right? Where you want to have some independence there. And there might even be some adjacent markets beyond core farming or construction that, that is adding value to that company for the time being. You know, and then third, on the VC side, a lot of times we're experimenting with things that are outside of our core business model. And so if you look at a lot of our venture capital investments, you know, it's robotics, uh, it's data and analytics, uh, it's marketplaces, or it might be unique ways to do soil analysis or, or weeding, right? If you're looking at mechanized weeding driven by you know scissors that are robotic or lasers or some other format so it's things that like we're not sure if the market's really defined so we want to participate and learn and see if this company can get to a commercial state and be a you know be a part of that that journey with them it's been great i really appreciate all this mark um i i think you know one place to kind of circle back to the beginning a little bit is in terms of uh, the differentiation, kind of where we started the conversation. Um, when we talk about precision ag, obviously, you know, we talk about making the most out of every plant, you know, kind of per plant decisions and that and that sort of thing. I think one place I just struggle with is like, how do you communicate to the customer the differentiation when everyone's sort of giving them the same message, you know, more profitability, more per plant precision? How do you make sure that you can tell uh, a, a, an honest, accurate story that actually is compelling to them that they see the differentiation, especially in a market as as competitive as your own? Yeah. So, you know, if we were all just selling precision for the sake of precision, I think it'd be very difficult to see differentiation in the marketplace. But at the end of the day, the customer comes at us probably with four things in their mind. First and foremost, what's the dealer network that's there to support me, right? And are they trained and smart and knowledgeable in making sure that everything I'm buying from that particular OEM is going to work and they can train me on how to do it and maximize my investment? You know, the second piece is, is the iron that I'm buying, if I'm buying an integrated solution, is that iron just work, right? That becomes the workhorse. So is it you know, uh, relatively cost-effective for me to own. They have good parts and service capabilities, which goes back to the dealer to some respects. Is it going to be running when I expect it to run? So I know I'm not going to be down, you know, in the, in the critical parts of my farm life cycle. I think the, the third thing is, is what's the quality of the OEM, you know, standing behind the tech? And so, yeah, this is something you often hear from farmers is, is I have all these startups that show up, but they don't always have staying power. 
right? Or they don't always understand my problem set because they're coming at it from a, a technologist's perspective instead of a farmer's perspective. And we have 200 years of experience working with farmers. We are a farmer first company in that regard. And this, you know, it was a big dialogue when we had this with CNH and Monarch because when we show up to a customer, there's just an expectation that we have high quality products that just work, no matter if it's software, iron, or some combination of the two. You know, and then and then lastly is how easy is that precision solution to deploy across you know my farm operation? And I would tell you today, you know, if you sit down and you look at how much training a farmer has to do and how complicated it is to learn systems. That's something that, that we believe we can lead with, and in many cases are already leading with around that ease of use capability. All right, well, that's gonna do it for today's interview with Mark. It was uh, really good to bring his perspective on the show and hear more about how someone in his capacity is thinking about technology on the farm and in these startup companies and uh, how it might impact the future of where agriculture is heading. Of course, you can learn more about CNH Industrial on their website, which I'll include in the show notes. And thank you again to Mark Kermish for taking the time to be here on the show. I also wanna thank Rishi Pete of uh, Software is Feeding the World, who hosted uh, the episode with Fern Robotics a few weeks ago. Uh, he listened to this interview I did with Mark and provided me with some valuable feedback uh, for how to approach this episode. And I need to thank also Shane Thomas of Upstream Ag Insights for his coverage of CNH Industrial and this, this sort of marketplace in general, because I leaned heavily on his previous editions of his newsletter for my preparation. So thank you both to Rishi and Shane for your newsletters, which are extremely valuable resources for me and I know everyone else in the industry. But before you take off today, I'm very pleased to share a spotlight segment with you. Adam Hankel is a seventh generation farmer located in Sublette, Illinois, which is in the north central part of the state. He's very much a tech savvy farmer, and he's been using the FarmWave Harvest Vision system for a few years now. He was very forthcoming and candid with me about his experiences. I loved hearing also about his family history of generations before him all trying various ag technologies. So we've kind of always been on the leading edge of technology. My grandfather, his letters home from World War II, he was asking his older brother if he should buy a corn picker or a square baler when he gets out of the service. You know, he's got all his money saved up. He ended up buying a square baler and asked him one time about doing that. And he said, I didn't bail many fields that first summer. I'm like, wow, you know, nobody interested. He goes, no, I was too busy parked in front of barns. We were pitching all the loose hay and straw outside, baling it, and then remowing it. So he was busy with the baler, just he didn't get to do a lot of in the field. They were cleaning up from the past and getting ready for future. Uh, he did eventually, I think a year or two later, bought a mountain corn picker and another tractor because that was a great venture then. My father got into yield monitoring in 1989. We had a micro track bushel counter just kind of measured bushels coming out the loading auger. It was the greatest thing ever. You know, we could do a side-by-side in the field, didn't have to wait for a seed dealer or someone else show up with a way wagon. We eventually progressed to a full yield monitor in the early mid nineties and then GPS at that same time. We started variable rate in the late nineties with Lime and auto steer somewhere around 2004 and everything else has been variable rate since. So. I've grown up with technology and adapting. So when the former salesman with FarmWave came to me and they had this idea they were working on, wanted to run some things by me and, okay, yeah, let's take a look. And 
he started talking about this taking pictures and getting yield loss I'm like well that's great but i already got that on the combine you know what are you going to do that's so amazing well we're going to monitor the back of the head and I'm like well i don't know if that's really going to do me a lot but okay you know talked more well the more he talked about it and explained it it really sounded interesting to me and not being afraid to try new things or try something twice to make sure i did it right craig and nick were passing through my area one time and three years ago called up and hey are you combining yeah i'm just pulling into a new field we're doing beans okay so they stopped by took them maybe 15 minutes to quick slap on some cameras and throw cables over top of the feeder throat and into the cab and off we went and i've been in love ever since and tell me about that first experience. What what kind of uh, turned the light bulb on for you that this might be something that was worth your while? Well, we run Macdon Draper head. So they should have just a slight frown when you're holding them up, either flat level or a slight frown to follow the ground contour right. Well, pulled the grain head into the field that morning. I hooked up at the combine and one of my uncles made a comment about, you know, the head's not frowning like it normally does. So it looks pretty flat. Yeah, it looks all right. Okay, start combining. And you're kind of looking out the windows, you know, looking to see if there's anything down there and stop and look. Looked fine. You pod here, there that you're cutting open, but they were close to the ground. So you kind of have that loss sometimes. Beans put a node down low. You can't get them. So like I said, we're combining along. And my other uncle that's always in the auger wagon, he's very meticulous about watching and seeing what's going on. So if you're losing something, he's going to see it. He'll tell you. You know, not a peep out of him. So Nick installed all this stuff. We took off running, made a couple of rounds, and he's, you know, I need some time to get it adjusted and do whatever. Okay, so you know, just let me know. And, and he started showing me some numbers. Like, you know, what's that mean? Well, it's your loss, and you're seeing these kernels. And he'd show me the pictures that it was taking, and you could see the kernels being circled and counted. And okay, you know, there's all these soybeans out there. And, so we made a couple rounds and he's showing me the numbers are staying pretty high. I'm like, all right, well, just about that time I'm coming across the field and my dad pulled in with the service truck. And I said, hey, I said, when I come out this time, I'm gonna pull up to the end and let's readjust the spring tension on this head. I said, I think there's something wrong. So I told Nick, you know, I'll be five, 10 minutes. We'll be back around. I just wanna make an adjustment. Okay, so we pulled up and it's a pretty simple process with the Mac down to check the tension out on the wings and make sure that everything's doing what it's supposed to well we were off a little bit so made some tension adjustments took off combine well we're barely halfway across the field and the numbers are down to nothing you know it's a real nice little number showing green and next well what'd you do well i fixed a problem no i mean what'd you do i said i put more tension on the wing so it's pushing down more so i'm not floating up you know it's actually kind of holding to the ground and well, how'd you know to do that? You told me. I said, your iPad. At that time, they were using a wireless system feeding into an iPad. And I said, your iPad told me I had to do this. So I stopped and fixed it. And well, But how did you know? I said, well, I said, I grew up, my dad and uncles are mechanics by trade. So I grew up old school fixing things and just understanding mechanically how things work. And I said, the problem you showed me and a comment my uncle made that morning about the head not really frowning. Hmm. Light bulb came on. I got to fix this. So we figured at the time he was measuring, I think we were five or six bushels the acre is what his cameras were showing at the highest point. You know, it wasn't high the whole way across the field, but we were, there were spots where I could have hugged down a hillside. It could have gotten closer and didn't. So after we fixed it, we were down half a bushel to a bushel, maybe at most. And 
Like, yeah, you know, if you take five bushels the acre, $10 for an easy math, 50 bushels or $50 an acre, I could have lost thousand acres of beans. If a guy has that $50,000 in one year adds up quickly. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that's a great example too of the, a lot of times the most effective ag technologies are ones that can work alongside a farmer that has the experience you have not try to replace you know, not try to say, every, you know, everything you've learned your whole life, don't worry about that anymore. We have this gadget that's going to do it, like actually enhance uh, that experience you have. Yep. And then we ran it on corn, put it on the corn head. And last fall, we had a row, a couple rows showing up that our stripper plates weren't quite coming together like they should. So, you know, we were losing just a few kernels of corn on a couple rows on the corn head that that system picked up also. Hmm. Very cool. So, uh, you know, when that happened, and this is for kind of the benefit of others listening that might be like, well, I don't know if this system is right for me or not. Did you go ahead and kind of run the system anytime you were harvesting from then on? Yes. Yep. It's been on and I try my hardest to avoid the combine. I don't like to be just sitting in one spot. So luckily my dad usually combines most of the beans and one of my uncles enjoys combining corn. So we'll let him loose and he runs. I mean, they both would ask me questions about what's well, not on or, you know, this came up or this camera's not responding. So I know they're using it. They're watching it because they know they've seen the value from what that first day we used it. So they know there's value to it. They want to use it. They want to see that we're doing a good job, that they're doing a good job running that machine. Yeah. And how long have you been using the, the farm wave system now? Three, three years now. I think the first, I mean, in, 2020 it was just they came out had it on there for a couple hours to do some testing and then they took off with that system because they were just trying to get to a number of guys get it demoed get them to see it um, and then that next year i became an early adopter however you want to term it and we got on with them and so i've been doing a lot of testing with them and trying out different things as they come up with them yeah send them over we'll hook it up and uh, I know this is going to be hard to to speculate, but if, if you had to like speculate, how much do you think the system has saved you? It's more than paid for itself. It is not a cheap system, but when you look at just that first day, I mean, in that field alone, let's say that was $1,000 just in one day that it saved me. Well, you take that over time. And then, like I said, even combining corn, we found we had a small issue that we weren't, we were not seeing that at all. Cause that's the worst part about corn head loss is it's underneath of the trash from the start. So it's really hard to see if you're getting a head loss there. Um, but it picked it up. It showed us we had an issue. We got that corrected. We've been running. So I, I've told my local dealers case I and a, was talking to a John Deere dealer about this system. And I said, you know, at a minimum, there should be one at each dealership. You go out to a guy's farm, He's bought a new combine, a new grain head, a new, you know, new setup, whatever. Put it on there and just show him that you have everything set right. You know, the dealer can get value out of it that, you know, give that farmer the extra confidence. I set this machine up. We set it for you. We showed you how to run it. Look at the job it's doing. We're going to leave. You know, maybe they can sell a farm waste system here or there when the guy sees, you know, hey, you know, they first initially took off with it across the field and seeing some issues, they corrected it. That farm wave system did it. There's a lot of value to that. Absolutely. Has there been anything 
where you know and you you've been with trying the farm wave system out since the early days so i'm sure there's been iterations and, and evolutions along the way but is there anything that you've had to deal with the troubleshooting or customer support customer service can you speak to that at all yeah so i've had um personnel from FarmWave call and ask questions and then some of their newer dealers have called and asked questions about you know how do you justify this or how do you go through it? and it's i basically use the same lines i've given you it's i had firsthand experience with it it proved itself right out the gate the first minute we started running it that is hard to argue with you know i mean people may not believe me but i'm not telling a lie here it's when you see something instantly showing you a return there's something to it you know we've done it multiple times would i like to get through a season without it showing me anything yeah that'd be great means i'm doing it right but it's also nice having that safety net that if something when you get into the end of the season you're maybe not checking everything you should or you just assume everything's adjusted correctly or it's running right well this is going to tell you otherwise if you do have something that's not right makes sense absolutely adam thank you for all the time anything else you want to mention on uh before i let you go or anything you want to emphasize um no i mean it's guys just got to try things you know and try them twice make sure you did it right don't look at the dollar figure that something costs because the turnaround might be a lot faster and a lot greater than you ever realize absolutely well thank you very much to adam henkel for his willingness to share his experiences on the show today again if you'd like to join the ranks of farmers just like adam who are deploying harvest vision in their fields to ensure that no bushel gets left behind put AI to work on your farm, just visit farmwave.io. That's farmwave.io to chat with one of their experts or locate a dealer near you. Thanks to Adam. Thanks to Mark. Thank you so much to Farmwave for being our quarterly presenting sponsor. And last but never least, thank you for your time and your attention. I never take it lightly. I'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation. Innovation.